You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. For we will surely die, this is the wise counsel, and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. So the idea here is that what she's suggesting to David is, listen, David, you're not going to live forever. You need to reconcile before it's too late. David's relationship with his son, Absalom, has been severed. David's heart has been yearning again for his son, but he's not certain what to do about it, if anything. Pastor Mike today will bring us into David's throne room, where there is a wise woman there to advise him to reconcile. She's been sent, undercover, by his friend and general, Joab, who knew what David had been feeling. Is your heart pulling you toward reconciliation today? Listen to the wise woman's words and reach out before it's too late. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14 as he begins his message, Wise Counsel. move into chapter 14. So we're going to go through at least half of this chapter, but I want to zero in on, to begin our study, in verse 14. This morning's message, the title is Wise Counsel, and this has everything to do with restoration and also reconciliation, and reconciliation in relationships. We want to talk about restoring relationships that may have been broken. So that's the subject that we're going to be treating this morning. So let's begin by reading verse 14 of chapter 14. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. So once again, this morning's message, the title is Wise Counsel. Okay, let me set up this Bible study for you. The events leading up to our text begin with David's oldest son, who we were introduced to last time. Remember, his name was Amnon. And I want to also remind you that David had several wives. In fact, one of the wives, her name was Ahinoam, and she was Amnon's mother. In chapter 13, last time together, when we were first introduced to David's oldest son, Amnon, we were told that he lusted after his half-sister, whose name was Tamar. 
Tamar was a virgin. I also suggested to you last time that being a virgin, it may have been that she had been sequestered. So it would have meant that Amnon would have had a very difficult time getting to her or even speaking to her. But anyway, we are told in chapter 13 that Amnon lusted after his half-sister Tamar. He was sick with lust. He was infatuated. And of course, any relationship with a half-sister would have been forbidden under the law. It would have been considered an incestuous relationship. So anyway, this fellow Amnon and one of his friends put together a plan and put it into operation. The plan was that he told his father, the King David, that he had become sick, and he asked that he would send his sister Tamar to minister to him. And so the plan is now awry. She was to go into his inner chambers to minister to him, where he raped her, and at that point, his lust turned to hatred. Remember, we talked about that last time. And so after he had a sexual encounter with his half-sister, he ordered his servants to kick her out and to bolt the door behind her. And I think it's worth mentioning again, if you remember last time I, I spoke to the young ladies here in our fellowship to beware of guys seeking your attention who say the right thing, do the right thing, but rarely they have evil intentions. And such was the case with Amnon. So we need to be very careful. If you, get, if you are involved in a relationship and you're being pressured by the fellow who has been seeking your intentions to go to bed with them, if they really love you, they'll wait until after you are married. So young women, please be careful about that. Now, Tamar's brother... We were also introduced to last time, his name was Absalom. This was also one of David's other sons, born through another one of his wives, got wind of what had happened, and he was infuriated. He told his sister, Tamar, not to mention a word of this to anyone, and he would take care of it. And for two years, his hatred for Amnon brewed in his heart. And you know what? We can only imagine how that affected his relationship with God, even if he had one. We're not really sure if he had one or, or not. From what we are about to learn concerning this man, Amnon, as we continue to move through Second Samuel. But, you know, I just want to pause for a moment, and, and I want you to think about that. You know, if we harbor any bitterness or any, uh, giving ourselves to any hidden sin within our, our lives, how it affects our relationship with God. So we could only imagine for two years his hatred brewing in his heart for what he had done to his sister, Tamar. Now, one day, remember last time we were told, Absalom invited all of his brothers to his home during the sheep shearing season. This was a harvest. It was a festive occasion. And it was there where Absalom's servants killed Amnon. And the rest of David's sons fled from that time that they had to come together for that festive uh, occasion. They thought possibly they were going to be next, that they were going to be killed as well. Let's, in fact, go back to chapter 13 and rehearse what we've already talked about last time. But let's pick up in chapter 13. So go back one chapter to verses 37 through 39. So after Absalom's servants had killed Amnon, we are told, but Absalom fled... And he went to Talmai, the son of 
Am Ehud, and that would have been his grandfather, okay, his mother's father, so it would have been his grandfather, king of Geshur, so he fled to Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there for a period of three years. And by the way, Geshur was located along the north border of Israel. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Abnon because he was dead. So over that period of several years, his fury had weaned. And now he's longing once again to be reunited together with his son Absalom. And, and you know, I think that any of us who are fathers, any of us who are parents can understand this and how forgiving we are of our children, even when they've done the worst kinds of, of things. And so anyway, that's where we left off last time. So David's fury is now weaned, but rather than allowing himself to reconcile with his son Absalom, whom he still loved in spite of what he did, we discover that pride stood in the way of reconciliation. And remember, that's what we're talking about, the subject of reconciliation. So there wasn't really any hope for reconciliation because of his pride. Now, Joab, one of the other characters that we've already been introduced to, he was David's general, decides to do something about this problem, to reunite together David and Absalom, to bring them back together. Okay, so let's begin now in chapter 14. Let's read the first three verses of that chapter. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. So David had this conflict going on within him. He loved his son Absalom, but he, he wasn't ready really to forgive him for what he had done for killing his other son, Amnon. And so Joab sent to Tico and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. And go to the king, David, and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Okay, so here in verses 1 through 3, Joab devises this plan for David and his son Absalom once again to become one. And according to our text that we just read, he sent to Tico for a very wise, shrewd woman. The way that she's presented to us there as a wise woman can literally be translated, she was a teller of stories, who when she had come up to meet with the king, pretended to be very troubled. Now remember, we are told also that Joab put words in her mouth. And that brings us once again to that verse of scripture that we begin with this morning, and contained within it, this woman gave to David very wise counsel. Notice, let's go, let's go ahead and, and read that once again. Let me break down verses 4 through 14, the verses leading up to verse 14, the, the verse that we want to zero in on this morning. So let's, let's go ahead and read verse 4. And so when the woman of Tico spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself 
and said, help, O king. Now remember, one of the king's responsibilities was to hear judicial matters. Verse 5, then the king said to her, what troubles you? And she answered, indeed, I am a widow and my husband is dead. So immediately she was able to get hold of David's ear. Because remember now, David was the champion of the desolate. And of course, this woman pretended to be one of those individuals, a desolate woman. Then we read there in verse 6, Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was no one to part them, but one struck the other and killed him. And notice the parallel of the story that she told, being instructed by Joab, and how that she was to address the king, and what had just taken place between the two sons, Amnon and Absalom. But you know what? Although her story isn't even close in resembling Absalom's story, because remember, his murder was premeditated, he was not the only son, and he was not in danger of any avenger of Blood. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. And then in verse 6, Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him. So they're seeking revenge in this story. For the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the air so they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant upon the earth. So, in other words, what she's suggesting here is that she would be left without any members of family. And she's also suggesting that her son was her sole support. And then in verse 8, Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. So David here is faced with a very difficult situation. And then in verse 9, And the woman of Tico said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, Bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. But notice here, the woman keeps on pressing the king to do something. And then in verse 11, Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood. And this is a reference. If someone, a member of your family, let's say, was involved in some kind of a conflict, and they were an innocent party, and they were killed because of that conflict. Well, then members of your own family would seek revenge, and they would seek to take the life of the person that killed the innocent party. So that's the reference here to the avenger of blood. To destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So she wants David, notice here, to take an oath. So now the trap is sprung. And then we read in verse 12, Therefore the woman said, 
please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on. And so she's about to reveal now her true agenda, that which Joab, the words that Joab had put in his mouth. The whole idea of reconciling David back to his son, Absalom. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home. So notice here, she charges David, and also take note of that phrase, against the people of God. What is she suggesting here? Remember, Absalom would have been David's successor. And so he would have been the people's next king. So anyway, she assumes the role of an accuser. And then we are brought to our verse that we began our study with in verse 14. Let's read it again. For we will surely die, this is the wise counsel, and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. So the idea here is that what she's suggesting to David is, listen, David, you're not going to live forever. You need to reconcile before it's too late. Why don't you act like God, who is the great reconciler? So wise counsel that's contained here in verse 14. Now let's go back to that phrase, spill a glass of water onto the ground. You can't bring it back into the cup. There's a finality to it. And of course, this woman is referring to death. And death is pretty final, wouldn't you agree? So she is reminding David how you can't recover from death. So the idea here is then, if this bitterness holds on, and either you die or Absalom dies, you'll never rectify the relationship. Death will end all opportunities for that. You know, it's pretty tragic. Well, let's bring this down to personal terms. You know, it's a really a pretty tragic thing when families, let's say, for example, husbands and wives, but this wouldn't only include husbands and wives. This might include, you know, a broken relationship that you had with maybe a sibling or a close and good friend of yours or maybe someone that you work with at your places of employment. It's tragic when those kinds of relationships are divided and many times they are the result of just small things or small issues, some kind of an argument, some kind of a disagreement. Words were expressed that really weren't meant. But nevertheless, they were said in the heat of the moment. And as it relates to husbands and wives, and we see this often, one of the spouses, you know, they'll pack up the kids, they'll slam the door behind them, and they're gone. But then time passes, and then one of the members of the family realize it wasn't worth our being separated. And now they're longing to bring back the relationship because the love that they once experienced that was broken because of the disagreement is still there. But you see, the problem is pride. That interferes with reconciling the relationship. You know, they're thinking, I'm not going to make the first move until they say that they are sorry. You know, it's that foolish kind of an attitude that keeps people separated. 
Well, anyway, this woman is reminding David that death is inevitable and it is final. And if death should strike without reconciliation, you'll hold on to that misery forever. Forever sorry. You didn't make amends. You didn't seek to heal the wounds. And now all you have to look forward to is a funeral and regrets. So the counsel, David, don't be foolish. Don't carry this on. Express your love and appreciation not now while you can. You know, in my own experience, there were so many things that I wish that I was able to say to my mother before she passed away. When my mom passed away, my wife and myself and some of my kids, not all of my children had already been born, but we were living in Alaska. And word had gotten back to us. In fact, it was really crazy because my sister, my older sister, had a really hard time tracking me down in Alaska, and I guess, you know, understandably so. I mean, we were like a world away. They had contacted a state trooper, actually came to where I had been working, and let me know that my sister was trying to get a hold of me. I really didn't know why she was trying to get a hold of me, but would you please contact her? And so when I dialed my sister up from Alaska, who was living in New Jersey at the time, told me that my mom had just passed away. And I had this wonderful relationship with both my mother and my father. My, they were both wonderful parents who loved me. And I loved them just as much as they loved me. And it's not to say that I never expressed my love for my mother, but my mom had a heart attack and she suddenly died. And I really didn't have the opportunity to have a sit down with her to really express how much I really appreciated her for all that she had done in raising me all of the sacrifices that she had made. You know, both my, you know, they weren't wealthy people. They made great sacrifices for me and my sister. You know, my, both my mother and father knew that we loved them, but I never really had an opportunity to sit down with my mother to express that love and my appreciation for all that they had done, all of the sacrifices. They were both working stiffs. Now, that wasn't the case with my father. My father had become ill, and he moved into our homes, we, actually, after we moved back to Jersey to begin the ministry. My dad had become ill. Many of you know, Virginia, you remember my, my dad. He used to actually come to our father. In fact, I had an opportunity to, to witness to my father and, and bring him to Christ. I, I led him in a prayer to receive Christ. I even baptized him. I don't know if you remember that. So my father lived with us for about two years before he passed away. So I had plenty of opportunities to be able to you know, share how much I loved him and how much I appreciated him for all he, but I never had that opportunity for my, for my mother. And I always regretted that, you know. We came back from Alaska, she had already passed away, and, and the last time I saw her was at the funeral home. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. 
David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too, and his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.